shootings, medication, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Welcome to the conversation, everybody. I'm David Schuster. Uh, the Georgia Republican Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene has ignited another firestorm this time because she's suggesting without evidence that there's a link between mass shootings and prescription drugs. This comes in the wake of the mass shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, in which seven people were killed and at least 20 others were injured. Uh, is this something to be taken seriously or is this complete nonsense from Marjorie Taylor Greene? Here to talk about this is David Grasso, he's CEO of Bold TV. That is a nonprofit media company that focuses on financial and cultural literacy. David, great to have you on the program. What do you make of what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing? I never take Marjorie Taylor Greene seriously. I don't think she offers any serious policy solution. Whether you're a liberal or conservative, you can see the type of person that Marjorie Taylor Greene is. You know, this is someone that promotes conspiracy theories, really came out of QAnon, says things that are, you know, and we don't say this hyperbolically anti Semitic, racist, everything. And I really think that she represents a fringe of the Republican Party that is unfortunately growing these days. And I hope, at least I'm crossing my fingers, that everyone understands that she represents a movement that is not only a danger to the Republican Party, but it's a danger to America. I think you're absolutely right. But there's a growing number of people out there who are putting aside Marjorie Taylor Greene who do think there's something about these SSRIs, the antidepressants, and perhaps that they may cause some sort of violent behavior. What do you make of that? You know, antidepressants is a really sensitive topic because as we've seen in most Western countries, not just in America, but in Canada and in the UK, the use of SSRIs or antidepressants is skyrocketing. So we really have to question what has changed. Have people always been depressed and now they're being treated? Or is it really just too many people being treated over treatment, especially in a place where we have for-profit healthcare like America? And I really think that this is an unsettled issue. I think what she's suggesting that antidepressants cause mass shootings is complete nonsense. Now, the role of SSRIs in mainstream society, I think that's a fair debate. Additionally, SSRIs, you know, contaminate water. And, you know, sometimes uh, when you look at drinking water, all of us are drinking low doses of antidepressants and antibiotics and a lot of different types of issues. So this is something we have yet to contend with. But again, to suggest somehow that a prescription drug, especially something like, you know, an SSRI, which has been around forever, is making people crazy enough to cause mass shootings is absolutely incorrect. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems to me that there's a confusion by Marjorie Taylor Greene and others in terms of cause and effect. Because yes, people who are having delusions or violent thoughts are more likely to be prescribed antidepressants. Uh, but there's something like 42 million Americans who have been on antidepressants at one point or another. A growing number of women are on antidepressants, more and more people who are over age 60. And yet we don't see mass shootings being carried out by women, by uh, people over 60. But but putting all that aside and, and the nonsense as I take it, as I think you take it as well, this idea that somehow there's a connection between SSRIs and mass shootings. In terms of sort of though the, the, un, the misunderstood or not quite uh, maybe society hasn't really figured out exactly what is the impact of SSRIs. You mentioned that that is some there is a valid concern here. What are your concerns about it? I think the way we approach healthcare is fundamentally flawed, and some of it has to do with our for-profit healthcare system. But some of it is a problem around the world because if you consider in the UK, the national health system, you know, is free, and they're also over-prescribing SSRIs. 
And a lot of people just need classic therapy. And I think we lean too much on medical solutions when a lot of times what people just need is to analyze their lives and realize that really the problem isn't over prescription of depressants, antidepressants maybe, but more the epidemic of loneliness. And a lot of societies that are even ahead of the United States in terms of living in the future, specifically I think of South Korea and Japan as examples, these are highly developed societies. Poverty is at a minimum. They have national socialized medicine and people are lonelier than ever. Their suicide rates are through the roof. A lot of Nordic countries fall into this. So we have to understand that modern society is creating new problems while solving old problems. And fundamentally, the problem is loneliness. And there are cures for loneliness, and that involves community, integration, and really belongingness. And we have to look at medicine holistically. Healthcare should be holistic. It cannot be all reduced to a pill. Of course, if you are chemically depressed, you should be a candidate for SSRIs. I have friends who are chemically depressed and the pill has changed their life, but it's not for everyone. On the issue of loneliness, uh, how much of this has to do with simply, I mean, the, the world we live in now with social media and so many of us live our lives behind screens as opposed to you know, going out into the streets and talking with our neighbors and talking to people on the phone. Everything now seems to be through a device, which seems to sort of cut people off. Yeah, and this is a major problem and it's only bound to get worse. Now with the dawn of the metaverse and the virtualization of everything, David, when you were at a different network, I would come on your show and see you in person. Now we're doing this over Zoom or Skype or you know whatever. And it feels like it's not the same type of authentic connection. And in fact, we're accelerating towards a world that is largely virtual. And this is a big unsolved problem across all societies. And we have to at least recognize that talking about mass shootings, talking about political extremism like Marjorie Taylor Greene, these are unintended consequences of a society that lacks connection, that feels increasingly isolated. Well, David, I gotta say, even just seeing you on my screen, that is a cure for my loneliness. It doesn't have to be in a studio, although I certainly prefer seeing you there. But uh, but nonetheless, on this sort of issue in terms of uh, America's, um, the way we sort of take care of each other, and you mentioned that it, it seems like it's almost like a uniquely American thing that we are so interested in sort of a quick fix for the problems, that there isn't perhaps uh, the appetite, there isn't perhaps the aptitude for sort of digging deeper into ourselves that here in the United States, whether it's you know mental health, whether it's back pain and we take Percocet, there's always a pill for what ails us. Yeah, well, you know, my parents are chiropractors and that was always their argument. It's like, listen, you can take the pill, but why don't you address the underlying problem? If you're depressed, maybe you should analyze the stress and your your current conditions of how you're living, etc. And really politics is like that too, right? We think all the guns or no guns, abortion, all abortions, no abortion. You know, and we really have to think about compromise. Political extremism is very damaging in our country, as we're seeing through Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I think that we have to think about moderation. And a lot of times in the American system, we really provide entertainment instead of information. And I really think that a lot of political issues have been reduced to a very cheap form of entertainment. And that's what's fomenting the political extremism. That's what creates these ideas of modern medicine is all corrupt or there's only modern medicine and that you should not engage in any sort of holistic healing. And this is a big problem because it creates this false binary. Really, we have to think about things in a way that everything has a solution 
but it's obviously not always one way or another. There has to be some compromise. What do you see as the solution for mass shootings? I mean, we have obviously more guns in the United States. Uh, we have an equal number of people with mental health issues as other countries, but it seems like, you know, but it's clear year after year after year, we have far more mass shootings than most industrialized nations combined. Well, I think the bill that President Biden just signed with the support of several Republicans is actually a good start. And of course, nobody's happy, right? Because any sort of move to restrict guns by the right is seen as an attack on the Second Amendment. And a lot of people on the left really would like to see a more Australia-style solution where they just started taking away guns, which is a non-starter in the United States. The thing about the gun problem is it's very complicated, David. You can't make them expensive because it's unconstitutional, so taxes are very limited. Uh, you, A lot of gun legislation is based on cosmetics instead of actual damage. Your constitutional right to a handgun, which you can conceal, that's really the most dangerous weapon out there. And a lot of laws, while they are well-intended, really don't do anything to solve the problem. Here in Los Angeles, where I'm sitting right now, I'm pretty certain I can buy an illegal gun very fast for less than $200. And I think we have to realize that reality. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything, but we have to recognize that guns are a part of American society. And if we are to attack the problem, which they're starting to, and it's unfortunate that it took this long for there to be action, especially when the majority of Americans agree that something should be done, we have to understand that we are limited in our policy tools to control the gun problem in America. And yet one of the things that is not limited in America is insurance. And I've heard a number of people come up with this sort of creative idea of rather than having the government try to mitigate guns, why not we force everybody to have liability insurance for their weapons? And then that way the insurance industry, just as it does with cars and with health insurance, they're the ones who are essentially cracking the whip and making sure that people have proper guns, that there aren't people who shouldn't have guns. And we leave it up to the insurance industry to figure this out. I think that's a great solution. And I think about it like climate change as well. You know, if the government doesn't want to act on climate change, and now the Supreme Court just said that, you know, the government can't regulate coal plants, power plants. And I think really it's the insurance companies who are ahead of the curve on climate change because they're not going to insure your house in Miami on the ocean if it's going to be underwater in 30 years. So I actually think that's a very innovative solution. America has the most innovative private sector in the world. And I think that's very thoughtful and pragmatic and a way of really institutionalizing change. And in the meantime, do you see uh, the gun violence issue getting worse in part because we're still, you know, we're not that far away removed from the pandemic and all sorts of mental health issues that uh, have cropped up all over the place? I don't see an easy solution for it, David. And, you know, I think all of us are concerned, especially when it involves children, if we have children and in their schools and in our houses of worship and just at Walmart or in a public place. I, I think all of us have that visceral fear of, you know, being a victim of a mass shooting, you know. Uh, I'm from Orlando, Florida. I know people who died at the Pulse nightclub. So we've all been touched by this tragedy. And unfortunately, it is a nasty, nasty mark on America. Yeah, and you get the sense that there's so many mass shootings that uh, literally everybody's going to know somebody in some community has been affected by this. In any case, David Grasso, CEO of Bold TV. David, thanks for being on the program. Great to see you. Always great to see you, David. Thank you so much. Take care. Welcome back to The Conversation, I'm David Schuster. Investigators in Highland Park, Illinois are still trying to piece together a motive that prompted a 21-year-old man 
to open fire from a rooftop on a July 4th parade, killing at least seven people and wounding at least 20. Uh, here to talk about the psychological and psychiatric profile of this mass shooter, at least as far as we know, and what sort of patterns we're starting to see in these mass shootings is Dr. Daniel Bober. He is a psychiatrist and chief medical officer at Odyssey Behavioral Healthcare. Uh, Dr. Bober, thanks for joining us. Uh, what jumps out to you about this Great latest mass shooting? Well, unfortunately, there is a contagion or copycat effect that when we have a mass shooting, it very often occurs in about two weeks of proximity to the one before it. Um, I think people are going on social media, they are being inspired by hatred and mass shootings and social media in general. And I think that makes them uh, willing to act out, especially when they feel like they're marginalized or on the fringes. And what is it about younger men between the ages of 18 and 21 or 22? I mean, that seems to be the profile for so many of these mass shootings. Young white men, clearly lonely, clearly cut off from not having many friends. Um, what is it about that that causes them to reach towards violence? Well, first of all, there are more white men in the country. So statistically, it's gonna probably be more white men than African-American men, however, that being said, I mean, I think that there is a reason that we talk about raising the minimum age for firearm purchases, because at that age, your brain is still developing and you're much more impulsive. You don't weigh the future consequences of your actions. Uh, you have higher rates of substance use disorders. So I think there's a lot of factors going on there that make this much more likely. And in society, uh, there have been rates of depression and anxiety that have been increasing. Uh, Suicide rates have been skyrocketing. So I think there's a lot of societal factors at play here that really influence this, this outcome. And yet there's an effort by Congress to try to reach down and get more people in terms of grabbing them, putting more money towards mental health and trying to make sure that you can catch people before they fall between the cracks. The bill that Congress just sort of passed to try to do that and giving states more money for things like red flags and trying to help identify, do you see that as being effective? I do think it's a start. Um, I think part of the problem is mental health in general gets sort of a bad rap. You know, people who are mentally ill are not the cause of mass shootings. Only 4% of interpersonal violence is due directly to people with mental illness. Hatred, intolerance, that is not a mental illness. Hating someone or holding a grudge against them, that is not mental illness. So mental illness is not directly responsible for all these firearm homicides. I think what is a major factor is the massive arsenal of weapons that we have in the United States, more than one for every person, and the easy availability. Guns equal death. We might feel safer with them, but having a gun around increases the risk of suicide, increases the risk of homicide, increases the risk of accidents. So if we want to live in a free society, uh, and I believe in the Second Amendment, we have to realize that more people are going to die with all these guns around. What is it about the American psyche that makes us the, the land of the, the guns? I mean, is it the, the Wild West culture that we had for so many years? Is it just the Second Amendment? I mean, what is it about American individualism, the fear that we have of people who are different? What is it that makes us so prone as Americans to have guns? I think it is a uniquely American phenomenon. I think we have a lust for violence. Violence is part of our culture. You see it in movies and TV and video games. We are a violent culture. We are the greatest country in the world, but we are a culture that was born out of violence and it is very much a gun culture. 
So how do we change it? How do we, I mean, obviously people would say, well, first we have to recognize that we have a gun culture. And I think most Americans would probably recognize, yes, we do have something unique about that. But how do, I mean, it feels like people are so entrenched in terms of their own positions about guns. And and polls found, for example, that I think it's something like 45% of Republicans believe, you know what, we're just gonna have to deal with the fact that there were more mass shootings and more violence because that's the price we pay for having our gun freedoms. You know, that is not probably an unpopular view among that party. But the thing is, we have to decide, do we want our freedoms? Do we wanna be able to have guns? And are we willing to let people die? Are we willing to let children die? Is that how we want to live as a society? How can we take the moral high ground in anything we do around the world if that's the society that we live in? It's a value judgment that people are going to have to make for themselves. For my part, I don't take a political stance on it. I look at it as a public health issue. We regulate cars. We tell people that you can drive a certain speed limit. We tell people they have to wear their seatbelt. You know, we don't allow defective cars on the road. I think we need to regulate guns the same way that we regulate cars and make it a public health issue. In order to do that, we would have to cut into perhaps the profits of the gun industry and certainly fight back against the incredible lobbying hole that they have on Congress. Is that also perhaps part of the problem? It's not so much sort of guns per se, rather the fact that we have a, essentially a corrupt political system that enables corporations like gun manufacturers to essentially write their own laws. Listen, I think that's true of a lot of industries. A lot of industries you know, are influencing Congress, influencing politicians. And the gun industry has been essentially immune from any civil liability. Um, they also um, really don't answer to anyone except themselves. So I think that's a problem. The uh, the shooter uh, in Highland Park, uh, he was a rapper who went by the name Awake. Um, in some of his recent videos, he depicted uh, mass murders. Apparently, the police had been called to his house a few years ago because his family members said that he threatened them with violence, threatened to commit suicide, threatened to kill them. And yet, he's still able to somehow go out and, and buy more firearms. Um, that's puzzling to a lot of Americans. You know, I worked a lot. Uh, on the Parkland shooter case, I worked with the police, I worked with victims in that case. And that is something that is also true. I mean, the police had so many encounters with him and still he was able to obtain a firearm. And that's what I'm talking about when I say lax gun regulation. This is something that we need to limit and we need to do it on a national level. We need to have national extreme risk laws. We need to be able to take guns away from people. Police need to be able to do it. Uh, Parents need to be able to do it by petitioning the court. This is a serious public health problem. There are a lot of uh, public health problems across the United States. Um, and it just seems like this one, it pops up every couple of weeks, as you mentioned, and there's more mass shootings in the United States. I think there's been something like more than 200 mass shootings. And yet we almost seem like uh, we're sort of, we're just sort of used to it. Is, is that part of the problem that now it's just what it takes to sort of shock us as Americans becomes more and more extreme? Well, you know, people use the term the new normal, but there's nothing normal about this. But I think after Sandy Hook, after children were massacred and nothing really changed, that's when I really realized that things are not going to change because people have become so desensitized to it now. It has become a bi-weekly phenomenon and people just kind of flip the channels and they turn to each other and they say, oh, another mass shooting. It's terrible that we have to live that way and that has become the new normal, so to speak. 
And is that part of our own um, psychological defense mechanism that we just sort of say, okay, well, it's it's going to happen on TV, and we're just going to sort of tune it out because they have to actually deal with what our kids, our families might actually be facing in schools is almost too much to comprehend. I agree. I think it's a form of apathy or learned helplessness. After a while, we feel so powerless to do anything about it that we just move on to the next topic. We've talked a lot with several of our guests about different sort of creative ways. In fact, a guest just a few minutes ago, we were talking about a solution that doesn't involve government, which is that we have insurance companies. We essentially force everybody who has a gun to carry liability insurance, with the idea being that just as aggressively as insurance companies are with who pays the bills for medical bills or car accidents, you get the insurance company involved in gun violence, and suddenly they perhaps put a clamp down on guns and who can have them. Does that seem to make sense to you? I don't know if it would cut down on the on the deaths from guns. Uh, I still think having all these guns around, you know, we have 23 times the rate of firearm homicides compared to other industrialized countries. Having a gun in your home increases the risk of suicide by over three times, homicide over two times. It's just having these guns around. You know, we want to believe that we're safer. But we're actually not safer. With more guns around, more people will die. That is the bottom line. And police, I mean, they're some of the most outspoken in terms of the arsenals that they go up against. And we've seen time after time where they're afraid of the AR 15s that they may be facing in gun battles or fights with criminals. Absolutely. The police are feeling outgunned because 18 year olds can go into gun stores and essentially purchase a rifle that is a weapon of war. And that is pretty crazy to me. As far as people who have to deal with gun violence, whether it's somebody who knows somebody who got killed in a mass shooting or or were injured or what, what, what is the, is there a healthy way for sort of grieving and, and dealing with this kind of episode in your life? Well, I think people grieve differently, but I think you know there's an initial shock and a period of numbness. Uh, and I think if you lose a loved one to gun violence, it's something that never really goes away, but it becomes something different and you learn to live with it. And it's just something that very often people will need professional help to deal with. And for parents who see their own children dealing with you know typical adolescent depression or suicidal ideation or perhaps you know uh, uh, fantasizing about violence, what should those parents do? Well, I think they need to look for the warning signs, you know, changes in sleep, changes in appetite, uh, spending an inordinate amount of time on the internet in cyberspace, isolating themselves, withdrawing from their friends or their family. I think all these things are things that we need to be looking out for and obviously keeping an open line of communication so that our kids can come to us when they're really struggling. And I say this all the time, when you can't stand to be around your kids, when you're at the end of your rope, that is when they need you the most. Dr. Daniel Bober, he's the Chief Medical Officer of Odyssey Behavioral Healthcare. He's also a psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Bober, thanks for doing this today. It's not an easy topic for any of us, but um, we appreciate you trying to help us uh, sort through things. And, uh, and thanks for being on the program. My pleasure. And that will do it for this edition of the conversation on behalf of Mark Gillespie, Asher Cofield, Gina Kim, and the entire gang at the Young Turks. I'm David Schuster. Thanks for joining us.